Good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Got a nice crowd. He has made us glad. Are you a glad people with the joy of the Lord this morning? Do you live in a glad culture? Happy culture? Hmm, wonder why. Maybe some of maybe some of that question will be answered in this morning's message. And this is our communion Sunday, so we change things up a little bit. We just have an opening song, then the message is delivered. And then we respond to the message through another time of praise and worship. And then we will come together today and enjoy the Lord's Supper. A great privilege that we have to do in remembrance of Christ's resurrection. And also the hope that we have that Christ will return and redeem His people. And that the world that we see and the life that we live right now, whether happy or sad, God is redeeming and restoring and we'll make it all new. Everything will go back to have to its original tent, intent, but actually be better. In the meantime, we have an opportunity to live for Christ and to be light and salt in this world as people that have received the forgiveness and mercy of God. This morning, we're going to look at another message on our Beautiful Things series, and it's based out of Psalm 100. And originally, I looked at this psalm. We, for Communion Sundays, we are uh, preaching through psalms. But when I looked at Psalm 100, I, I saw a great opportunity, because even though it's only five verses, it's a very simple psalm. It is packed with biblical worldview. Just foundational principles of our existence, our meaning, our purpose, how we relate to God, how we relate to each other. So I'm kind of using Psalm 100 as a springboard to compare a biblical worldview, biblical truths, with many of the truths that we hear in our culture. There are teachings that we hear, there are beliefs and values that our culture holds. So I've been kind of comparing these things. The original, um, let's just go ahead and read Psalm 100 and then I'll say, make a few more comments and dive into our message. A psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. It's what, it's what we just did, isn't it? So know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness for all generations. So the psalmist just lays it out there. As simple as it is, it encompasses all of existence. Why we're here. What we're supposed to be doing with our lives. How we got here. The, the main teaching, and I've kind of, uh, the parts are confusing. This is actually part three. But originally when I planned this series before COVID, this would be part four. But the first part or the first sermon had to do with actually looking at the psalm for what it is 
And the main truth is that our singing is based on knowing, right? So this is an encouragement for the people of God to come before him and praise him based on what he has revealed to us. What we know because of his word. And then part two, we looked at the whole idea of worldview. And, and we looked at, you know, in our culture today, there's so many things happen. People are making decisions. Policies are being forged. And you think, what? How can people even think along these terms? And so we kind of wrestled with comparing worldviews. How did we get here in the society that we live in? And then... We saw that the key to understanding of a lot of the issues that we have today is a matter of a view of how we look at humanity, how we're looking at ourselves. And the common belief today or the modern belief today is a dualistic view of humanity. That is, there's a there's a difference between your soul and your body, the immaterial, which is your thoughts and your values, your philosophies and the actual material self, your your biology, your your body, your physiology. There's a there's a, a dualistic view. And the idea, it's not new, this is an ancient philosophy if, if you care to research it, but the idea is that the mind and the unseen are the beautiful things, the valuable things, and the material are you just got you just have to tolerate them. And how that translates into humanity is that we live in a culture that no longer values the body, but uses the body as ever, however it wishes, as just kind of a useful instrument to how the mind sees it. And that's how we, that's how our culture draws conclusions like we're seeing today, such as gender identity and and so forth. So the whole person is up for grabs. And we saw that this dualistic view of humanity applied to how we deal with the value of life in our society. How do you justify taking a life, say, for instance, abortion? And so some people in their worldview look at other people's worldview and you think, how can you not see this as life? And we've our society has come a, has come a long way with this uh, debate with abortion. But I introduce to you what's known as the personhood theory. And that is the way our modern society, including our judicial system, can justify taking a life, something that, uh, a life uh, within the womb, something that we would describe as life, is by saying, well, yes, they are human. Scientifically, it's proven. Yes, biologically, that's a human in the womb. I concede that, but it's not a person. That's why... It's okay to terminate life. And that's the personhood theory. And the big question on that, of course, is, well, if that's true, then who gets to determine when a human suddenly, magically, twinkly becomes a person? Do you have to earn that? Do judges decide that? Of course, the Bible says, no, you are a person because you're knitted and formed in the womb. God does that. And your value and worth comes from God. And nobody gets to decide if you have it or not. You are born with it because you're created in the image of God. But we are creating quite a mess. Bad ideas have bad consequences. 
So we've seen that as applied to our, our, our understanding of just valuing life for what it is. And today we're going to look at how this view, as opposed to the biblical worldview, translates into our uh, culture of sex, our relationships, our intimacy, how we interact physically. And this is, of course, based on the idea, if we look at this song, we just take it at face value. This, song, this psalmist, the person that wrote this psalm, is able to enter into a happy state of mind, a peaceful state of, of, of soul, and literally offer gratitude and praise and be happy and feel the blessings of God because he has been blessed with God's truth about himself. So he has an idea of how life works. And we as believers, as we pour ourselves into understanding God's word and his revelation, that's what we get to enjoy. God puts the pieces of the puzzle together for us, or rightly said, he reveals things to us, these truths. There are things we don't have to figure out. The idea of God's word and, and basing everything on God's word is that he created all things beautiful. That's the beautiful thing series. And that the laws and the boundaries that he gives us, the, where he says, thou shalt not, and then, but this is what I do want you to do. I want you to act and think this way, but not this way. The reason is not to stifle our lives, to not to kill our joy, not to put frowns on our places, on our faces. The purpose is to keep the beautiful things that God made and designed and thought up beautiful. It's to preserve them for our good so that we can experience things with, with maximum joy and gratitude for what God has given to us. So we're going to apply that this morning to biblical sexuality versus what I'll call the, um, the hookup culture. Before I look at the hook, hookup culture, I want to briefly explain the biblical view of sexuality because it is not... When you go on social media, you are not getting the biblical view of sexuality. It's just not... Sometimes it creeps into secular articles just because it's real, it's reality. But most of the time, that's not what you're going to find. It's not the conclusion. And so, uh, we don't always do the best job at putting biblical sexuality out there. And so I want to just make an attempt at that this morning and just say that, you know, telling our young people no or telling our young people to, to stay pure or don't get pregnant. I mean, that's that's good, but that's not enough. That's not like a real reason or understanding of why I shouldn't do this. So we want to try to explain there's actually deep, meaningful reasons behind why we do or don't do things. The Bible gives us these. So young people require more than just rules. They need to make sense of the rules. They need a, a world view to hang their actions on. A world view that actually has a place for deep passion. A world view that has a place for hormones that go up and down. 
a worldview that has a place for different seasons of life and different feelings. Whether they're right or wrong, there's a worldview. There's a, there, there is a, a path that God has given us to channel all our thinking and all of our feeling. So I, want, I just want you to know that there's a place in Scripture, there's a place in God's kingdom for everyone that is willing to see Him for the God that He is. It's impossible to please God without faith. Everyone that comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly, faithfully, diligently seek him. In our culture, physical intimacy is a big deal. You can't escape it. It's in everything. You watch a movie, the guy over here in this corner of the room or football field or whatever meets eyes with the girl over here. And next thing in the next scene is there in bed. So physical intimacy is a big deal in our culture. And it is a big deal in scripture, just not in the same way. Let me read a quote by Nancy Piercy out of her book, Love Thy Body, an excellent book. She gives this illustration. Imagine a child was taught a no big deal view of food. And that food's just about pleasure. That doesn't matter what you eat as long as it feels good. That food is a strictly private matter and no one can judge whether any particular food is good or bad for you. That you might not like broccoli, but that's okay because what's good for you may not be good for me. It's all a matter of personal preference. It's, if a child hears that, uh, if a child hears this script his entire life, he will believe it and eat a steady diet of cookies, pizza, ice cream, and then have no idea why his body is not healthy. The child's been given no tools to understand the connection between food and the biological facts of nutrition. He needs information to understand what his body actually needs to thrive. And I would say that our culture, especially our young people, don't have this knowledge. And you look at our culture, and I've never really heard it described like this before, but we are sexually sick. We are a sexually sick people when you look at our culture. God is the one who invented Love and romance and pleasure and intimacy. He knows what's best. He knows what we should and shouldn't do. And he's not keeping good things from us. As the world would have us believe. That the Christian faith is, is bondage and oppression to our sex lives. That is not true. He keeps good things good. He keeps the beautiful things beautiful. So it fits into God's story. That's his story. The Bible tells us there is such a thing as healthy living and good living. And within these rules and regulations, there are blessings found. So when we abide by God's word, when we obey, we live in an imperfect world. So there, it's always going to be mingled with suffering. The full curse is not removed yet. But there, by God's grace, there's still great blessing and joy to be found in this world. So when we live according to his rules and 
the rules of creation and how things are supposed to be, there is a sense in a lot of areas that it will go well for us, he says. Different decisions we can make, it will go well for us. It's interesting, when I was preparing this actually a year ago, over a year ago now, I I came across this little quote um, in... 2017 by the CDC. We hear everything about the CDC today. I was interesting to read this report. It found that teenagers who abstain from sex are also more likely to engage in a wide range of other healthy behaviors. From eating healthy to exercising to getting enough sleep, they are less likely to smoke, use drugs, suffer depression, or report dating violence. And the researchers said they don't know why healthy behavior begets healthy behavior. They don't know why when a person lets one thing go, they have a tendency to let other things go and vice versa. So they don't have a reason for it. I think the Bible gives us a reason for it. When we make wise decisions in areas of our lives, it actually pays off in other areas. I see that in my life. When I get lazy in one area, I have a tendency that just drips on down and oozes into other areas. Then next thing you know, my life's a mess. And the same thing goes when we're more disciplined in areas, when we're more obedient. It's it's the blessing of God upon his people. Scientifically, I think, proven, but just not always concluded correctly. God made us. We are the sheep of his pasture. So let's just briefly look at God's view of sexuality. And many of you already know this. But first of all, God created us. We have to start with our person, our being. Who are we? God created us. And he created us with a body and a soul. But that's all one person. It's not dualistic. It's not a dichotomy. They are to work together. So when he says, love love me with all your heart, mind, and soul, we are to love him Uh, With our whole being and our whole person. You know, the sacrifices of praise, loving God with our bodies, it's, it's a reasonable form of worship. So we are a whole package that God made. And we are incomplete without both body and soul. When you have a relationship with somebody, you, you don't withhold one or the other or you're not very good friends, right? So both, Scripture says, your, your person is sacred in who God created you to be. And then after creation of Adam, it wasn't good for man to be alone, so he created Eve. And then now we have the institution of marriage. And God says the two shall come together and be one flesh. The two what? The two whole persons. Your whole being. So marriage, intimacy is based on commitment, loyalty, but you're giving your whole person and your whole self, body and soul. And the beauty of that is that as you give of yourself, you become one flesh. As you consider the other person, you're giving yourself. You're make, it's, there's vulnerability here, but you're, you're revealing yourself and you're giving yourself to each other. You're not holding back. You're giving yourself. And when you, when you can get to this place of trust, earned trust, then 
you can know each other even more and more intimately and more satisfactorily. But when we hold back in these relationships, then we're, then we're robbing ourselves. We're not allowing God, uh, our marriage to be all that God intended it to be. When we harm each other, and it causes us to retract, even in friendships, marriage, whatever. We retract. I can't trust you anymore. I can't be vulnerable because you just stepped all over my heart. So see how we interact the whole person, the mind, in obedience to God and purity. So they're to become one on every level, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, by giving themselves in loving service to each other and, of course, in loving service to God. In marriage, to give ourselves in loving service to each other is to give ourselves to God, is to worship God because we're living according to how He designed us to live. When we don't give each, to eat ourselves to each other, there's chasm, there's distance. Maybe even coldness. Then Adam and Eve knew each other. And that, that Hebrew word, knew each other, it's a very uh, intimate word. It means, basically, uh, it embodies the idea of deep personal knowing. Describes a, a profound connection between two persons. And we find in Genesis, after he creates man, this marriage is a covenant relationship he bring there's a mar- first wedding right in the the garden of eden god is the officiator and he enters man and woman adam and eve into this exclusive intimate covenant relationship whereby they are committed to each other that one flesh is like glue what god puts together let no man separate this is how god sees it happening as we give ourselves to each other it's a commitment it's mind body soul profound exclusive connection it's the whole package and we reveal God's character as we give ourselves to each other according to God's word by God's design what we want to do, and our, what our, our tendency today, of course, is to separate the whole person. Uh, just make it about the body and not the mind. I like what G.K. Chesterton said about this. He said, sex is an instinct that produces an institution. And that institution is the family, a small state or commonwealth, which includes economic interdependence, social responsibility, raising children, education, recreation, shared worship, and charity to outsiders. And you might picture the institution of the family as a house, and sex is the gate of that house. But the house is very much larger than the gate. So it's not just about the gate, it's, it's much bigger than that. There are indeed a certain number of people who like to hang about the gate and never get any further. But the most of us would say there is something very short-sighted about just hanging around the gate. Christianity is far-sighted. It offers a fulfilling, multi-dimensional view of sexuality as the gateway to many other meaningful layers of life. Unfortunately, our culture is fixated just on the gate. And our culture bathes us in its view of sexuality. Uh, we are being indoctrinated 
it's, it's not a stretch to say that social media and the things that are out there and the, and the entertainment, we are being indoctrinated with certain world views, especially about sex. So I want you to understand that from the biblical perspective, it is a beautiful thing. It's a pleasurable thing. It's something to be desired. If that's what God is, is if marriage, you know, God, marriage is not by God's design for every individual, for most, but there are those who are called to a life of singleness. But for those that are called to this kind of sexual relationship, it's a beautiful thing. It can be pure, tremendously pleasurable. There's nothing dirty about it. Uh, my upbringing was, was that sex is dirty. I was not given a, um, a, a biblical view of sex. I didn't have any place to put it. Proper place to put it. So the, the cultural view is in opposition to this very caring, close, biblical understanding of sexuality. But I don't want you to think that I'm now, now that I've held up God's word and the biblical view and the people of God, that now I get to bash the world and the unbelievers. Because the fact of the matter is that the, the poison or the, the false understanding of biblical sexual, of, of sexuality creeps into the church, creeps into believers' lives. And so what you have many times is a church or a people of God that are not completely on board with Scripture. Uh, there's a mingle. There's a mixing. Not everybody believes this that is a Christian. It's looking for... Here it is. Christian Mingle survey, recent survey from Christian Mingle. I'm not sure what Christian Mingle is. I think it's a dating site. Christian Mingle. Survey, 61% of self-identified Christians said they were willing to have casual sex without being in love. So over half. Only 23% said love was necessary in a sexual relationship. Only 11% said they were saving themselves for marriage. So now all these major social struggles that our culture is undergoing, it finds its way into the church. The church struggles with these things too. I have to look at this and make decisions as well to the glory of God. So in every one of these areas, the church that, that's God's salt and light finds itself drinking from the culture's well. And rather than showing the way, what happens is we give way. Rather than showing the way, unfortunately, we give way. And just so you know, as when God founds a church, He appoints leaders, He, 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 he brings people together to be salt and light in this dark place. And we, as New Covenant Fellowship, have been referred to as a kingdom outpost. That was one of the themes of the Gospel of Matthew. We are a kingdom outpost. So the people that are here this morning, that have you have devoted your life to Christ because you have found forgiveness and grace and mercy in God's hand. He has given you. 
And now we are to make decisions in our marriages, in our family, in our parenting, in the bedroom. Decisions that show the world the way. That show the world the beautiful things that God has created. A kingdom outpost. So what is this hookup culture? And how bad is it? It's bad. It's bad. The bottom line is this. The dualistic view of the body and the mind as being separated is wreaking havoc on people's real lives. It is leaving carnage in particularly with our young people. And we're now, youth are now taught that it doesn't really matter what you do with your bodies. It just doesn't really matter. They're just kind of along for the ride of what you would call life. Because the mind is so superior to the body. The unseen is where all the meaning is and the seen is just something there. Exact opposite view of biblical sexuality and covenant marriage. And so now young people... Uh, it plays out in their lives in that, in that many are um, pressured and expected to use their bodies for sexual pleasure without any understanding or hope of any kind of personal relationship where you are engaging the actual soul or mind of a person. So the, the body's disconnected from the mind. Whereas in the biblical view, it's all about knowing the other person. You're not supposed to even engage in sexual activity until you know the other person in a marriage covenant way. That you have taken the time uh, to do that. It's all about the whole person. It's not just about the body. And our culture says that the less you know about the whole person, the better. So our children are being taught that whatever they want to do, their bodies are basically just today a pleasure centers. And whatever you do with it doesn't really have an effect on who you really are. Or who you think you are in your, in your mind. And so they have no moral value either way. And the Bible teaches that the more personal it is, the better. And the culture is teaching the more impersonal sexual relationships are, the better they are. You see, the, this, this, these are the two opposing teachings that are out there. Um, a Boston College professor, Carrie Cronin, began to inquire about the dating situation of, among the college students. And <clears throat> I'm not sure how many people were in the class, but she asked... Uh, her class, have any of you ever been on a date? And no, no college student in her class had been on a date. And that really shocked her. So she just kind of asked more people and started looking into this new cultural way of relating. And they went to parties and they hooked up sexually and then they just went on their way. And so they didn't know how to relate any other way. And so she actually started a class on how to date, and it became a big hit, believe it or not, among the college campus. She became known as the dating doctor. So the, the hookup culture creates this drastic divide between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. 
Now today, what we hear is all that matters is just mutual consent. It's the only important thing. Do anything you want. As long as you have mutual consent, which is a, another sermon for another time, but don't believe that logic as if everything in the world is okay just because two individuals mutually consent to do something. Now, whatever you mutually consent to do actually has effect on other people too. It has an effect on society. So don't follow that false logic. As a matter of fact, the contradictions today... Um, are incredible in our worldviews. So you have a culture that wants complete sexual liberation. But then whenever there's any kind of violation, all somebody gets hurt, then all of a sudden we want rules again. That's wrong. You can't do that. Or even mutual consent. We can't even agree on what mutual consent means. Does that mean it has to be verbal consent? Or does that mean in the heat of the moment there can be physical cues that can be understood? What is mutual consent? We we can't even agree on that. John Stone Street from Breakpoint says, We can't pretend to be liberated from limits and then erupt in self-righteousness when somebody crosses a line. So So that's where we are. And this is where our young people are. It's this idea of just use your bodies and... The, the personal friendship and getting to know someone, caring about their heart, their soul, what they think, what they believe, that's not at all important. Just use your body as a pleasure center. Now, I'm actually going to quote Miley Cyrus. But I had to really edit this because there was a lot of stuff in here I couldn't repeat. But she said, finding someone to bed with is easy. What we want is someone to talk to, someone to share ourselves, and that's Slim Pickens. And that's coming from Miley Cyrus, who, who is feeling the brokenness and the pain from a false worldview that doesn't fit reality. That says it's okay just to go out there and use your body for whatever. So that's what the young people do. They believe it and then they act in that way. And then they're like, well, uh, but I don't have any connection with anybody. It's, it's easier in her world. It's easier actually to find somebody to sleep with than somebody to talk to and share your. What kind of culture is that? That's real. This is what young people struggle with by not hearing or by not obeying the truth. So here's a few, a, a few more co- um, quotes out of Piercy's book. Young college student uh, named Alicia. She said, hookups are very scripted. You learn to turn everything off except your body and make yourself emo- emotionally vulnerable. Another student says, you're not allowed to admit that this way of relating leaves you empty. Boy, you can't say that in our culture, that it's not working, that it's actually painful, because it doesn't fit the narrative of what they want you to believe. She says, if you let on to that, that you were hoping for more, you're, you're labeled as clingy, weak, dependent, needy 
And she said, it's a contest to see who cares less. That's what we're being driven to believe. That's we're being driven like sheep to act in this way. To pretend it doesn't really hurt. To pretend it doesn't really matter. To pretend there isn't really more to what's going on. You see the contrast? It's stark. Biblical sexuality is about caring more. And cultural sexuality is about caring less. Biblical sexuality, it's special. It's treasured. It's, it's, it's exclusive. It's reserved for the highest level of an earthly relationship that exists. And the cultural sexuality is just quick pleasure at best. And it's not working. It doesn't fit the reality of God, of how God has created us. And students are being taught, pressured to suppress their emotions And a lot of the results are to turn to drugs and alcohol. There are consequences to these things. If you're going to be forced to live in a way that really is kind of causing all this underlying pain and vulnerability, you've got to douse it with something. And a lot of young people turn to drugs and alcohol. One student admitted that she had a regular hookup partner, but that we don't really like the other person sober. Telling the New York Times, we literally can't even sit down and have a cup of coffee together. We get drunk, have sex, but there's no interpersonal relationship. They really can't even, they don't like each other when they're sober. Well, what is that? That's living a delusion. It's trying to make something fit that simply will not fit. The new sexual orthodoxy does not work. Reminds me of what the prostitute said in Proverbs thirty twenty. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. The thought is your body's not you. Don't don't listen to those feelings and those emotions and just get over yourself. And tell that to a rape victim whose life has been shattered. Because they know you don't just separate things like that. It affects the whole person because that's how God has created us. One college freshman came to a school counselor in deep depression over her first sexual encounter after her boyfriend immediately dropped her. Why, doctor? Why? Do they tell you how to protect your body from herpes and pregnancy, but they don't tell you what it does to your heart? There's no educational material out there that, that says anything about sex and the whole person. So they're taught to just ignore these kind of things. The two most popular pills that are prescribed or handed out at college campuses is there a coincidence birth control pills and antidepressants emotional detachment so that you can feel the greatest physical pleasure in today's culture actually having to take the time to get to know somebody is uh, it's in the way 
I don't want to hear about your burdens. I got enough burdens of my own. I don't want to hear about your junk. I don't want to feel responsible for you in any way. I don't want to have to see you in the hallway and even give you a smile or a look or help you with your books. I don't want I don't want any of that. I've got I've got my own issues to deal with. I don't, I don't even need to know your real name. I want to keep you as a person as far away from me as possible. Just bring your body close. Liberation from religion. Liberation from biblical worldview. It's not working. It just doesn't. Liberation is not the key. Liberation from Christianity, liberation from religion is not the key to sexual fulfillment. What do Christians know about sex? You ever hear anybody? What, what could you possibly? You're a Christian. Probably don't even have it. Hmm. So according to the World Family Map report, and I'm winding down now, in case you're like, how long is he going to talk about sex? I have kids in here. So, it's, we're about that. So, uh, according to the World Family Map report by the Institute for Family Studies, based on just under 10,000 individuals in 11 different countries, says this, Couples who are highly religious are more likely to be satisfied with their sex life than those who are less religious or claim no religions. While both women and men in highly religious couples reported significantly higher overall relationship quality and satisfaction with their sex life, the results in both cases were strongest for women in these couples. In fact, women in highly religious relationships are about 50% more likely to report that they are strongly satisfied with their sexual relationship than their secular and less religious counterparts. Hmm. What does real life communicate? You know, if you just get to know me, you get to know each other, give yourselves to each other, share your thoughts, your hearts, your burdens, your lives, the very thing the culture is trying to push away, you actually can have a great relationship that transpires into better sexual relationships. That's real life. There, getting to know the whole person. It matters. We cannot short-circuit these things. Come closer. Goes against all conventional wisdom. So, maybe, maybe Christianity teaches, you know, this is true because it teaches that, that the whole person is created by God. By God. And maybe because Christianity would actually teach you, no, you sit down and have several cups of coffee with somebody before you slip them into the bedroom. Maybe it's because Christianity says, no, share your heart. Share your burdens. What's troubling you in life? What's eating at you? I want to hear about that because I care about you as a person. Maybe caring makes a difference. Maybe having time and taking time to spend with each other, stealing away minutes out of the day, actually does make a difference in the whole person. Doing life together, going beyond just the gate. And creating that bond creates a relationship. 
that can be beautiful and satisfying on a greater level. Uh, maybe, maybe we don't need more safe sex or sex technique seminars, sexy clothing. Maybe we need more Psalm 100. An understanding, a place to hang our, our desires. A better understanding of our individual story as a part of God's big story. Maybe God does make beautiful things and He doesn't keep beautiful things from us. Maybe He wants to just keep His beautiful things beautiful. Well, that's biblical sexuality. That's God's story. And I'll tell you, it takes courage. Not just to believe this, but it takes courage to live this out. It takes courage and personal sacrifice and bravery to be the couple, to be the the husband and wife or boyfriend and girlfriend that God asks us to be, shows us how to relate. And you know what? Our family and our friends and our community need this badly. They need this way. Because God has a place for everyone that will live according to His ways. I would say God wants, what is Christ doing? But winning things back into the submission of God. He wants people back that will enter into his courts with praise, gladness, and thanksgiving and praise him and sing to him and worship him in gratitude because he is a beautiful God that has done beautiful things. May God bless the preaching of his word. And now we have an opportunity to continue to uh, praise and worship him. And then share communion together.